Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Welcome back to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. That song that you just heard is Kill My Compass by Day Trader. On today's episode of the podcast, we are joined by the singer of Day Trader and Divider and Some Stranger and Tim, uh, Mr. Tim Barish. He is my buddy, my longtime buddy. I've known Tim since um, maybe like the end of our, our middle school years going into high school and then beyond that. For a while now, I've wanted to kind of venture off of just talking about traveling, and I wanted to start to include people of different uh, creative mediums and things like that. So I've had a couple people kind of on deck to do music podcasts. Um, when you're a small-time guy like I am, you know, you kind of have to work around other people's schedules, and people cancel a lot and things like that. So uh, it's really cool of Tim to join and, and to talk about his time in bands. If you know of Tim and you're not friends with him, uh, I think the most likely scenario is that you were a fan of Day Trader. I think that of, of, well, not that I think, I know that of his bands, that was the band that had the most traction and, you know, started to get uh, the largest following. So uh, in this episode, we talk about Tim's early starts in music through his bands up through today. And I think that... Um, It'll give you a little bit of insight into you know why he's not in music right now, potentially how he could become involved in creative projects going forward, and maybe what the, the potential future of, of Day Trader is. Uh, at various points in this episode, you'll hear some songs. 
Um, and uh, I'll put all of that information in the show notes for this episode if you're looking to buy a divider or day trader or some stranger record. Uh, in terms of the travel aspect of this episode, it's not really there. So if you're someone that isn't tuning into this episode specifically for music, uh, this one maybe isn't for you. Maybe it still is. Uh, I was thinking about trying to connect this to traveling. We talked a little bit in this episode about the, the tour that I went on. I went on a five-week tour with Divider, and really I was just like a grunt. I was a road dog, right? So I was, uh, I was driving the van, I was lugging stuff to help, you know, set up all the equipment on the stage, and I was selling merch, and at some point it was kind of the spiritual glue as uh, the band had some turmoil on that tour. But um, it's, suffice to say that there's, there's not a lot of traveling. It, when you're an independent band, uh, you're living hand to mouth like day to day. What you get from that day's show is what you can use for gas and food for that day. Um, and so you're going across the country, but mostly what you're seeing is roads. And you're seeing like the vastness of the United States. And um, you know, these major artists, they you know they'll they'll book a date and they'll put a couple days in between the next show that they play. You don't really have that luxury when you're trying to just make ends meet and trying to get your music out there and promote yourself. Uh, so all that to say, I, I did see some things, uh, and that was kind of the first time that I was able to travel across the country, you know, without my family and things like that. But not enough to where I could talk about it. You know, you see a lot of roads and cornfields and farms and things like that. And then you have some time in a city, but uh, the divider was basically playing every single night. And so you drive to a venue, you would maybe sleep a little bit at the person who booked the show or someone that wanted to put you up. And then you'd wake up super early, someone would have to drive, that someone was usually me, and uh, it's on to the next venue. So there's not a lot of traveling, but uh, hopefully you're someone that tuned in because you're interested in... Um, and, and Day Trader or Divider or one of the bands that Tim played in or you're someone that's friends with Tim. All right, ramble, ramble, ramble. Um, I think that's all I want to say for today. So enjoy this. Check out the music. Check out Tim. Uh, as always, take care of each other. And until next time, peace, everybody. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. I'm really excited today to have my good buddy, Tim Barish, on the podcast. How are you, Tim? Hey, Tim. Doing uh, pretty good. This is probably the strangest way to to have a reunion with somebody, because I think it's been like, what is it, like six years since we've seen each other? Seven years? Probably something like that, yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a while. It has. And I think... Um, well, one of the reasons I want to have you on is because you have uh, a bit of an extensive history uh, involving yourself with independent music. And I think that uh, there could be listeners out there who are probably more likely to be fans of Day Trader, who maybe want an update on that band or you. And so I thought we would talk about that kind of stuff today. Is that cool? Yeah, sure. Okay, awesome. So I want to trace it back, Tim, to your first foray into music of sorts, I guess, and that is uh, putting out records under Shock Value Records. <laughs> we, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite a while ago. I, we were in high school, right? Uh, yeah, I think we were in high school, yep. It's crazy, because I was thinking back on that, and you know, I work with high school kids now, and I like, <laughs> I can't imagine, I mean, let's say someone were to reach out to you now and they were in high school and they were like, hey, Tim, I want a day trader reunion. I want to put out a new record. Like, you would probably dismiss them. Um, probably. So, okay. So at that time, you're in high school. You're like, I want to put out bands. I think, correct me if, if any of these are wrong, but you put out, I think you put out a Joshua Fit for Battle record, right? That, that back when LP, one of your first yep. ones was like Ed Gein. So like heavier metal, Ed Gein, yep. heavier metal type of stuff, right? 
Yeah, yeah, a bunch of like loud, noisy, left of center rock rock music, I guess I would say. And um, I think the way it actually got started was uh, me and you post on the same like nerdy trading message board, uh, VLV. And so I got super into to records. And I think we did it at the same time. And then I was like, oh, let me start putting out, you know, records for like weird, loud, noisy bands. Yeah, we started getting involved in music like right when that message board era was first hitting. And that was like going from, you know, paper zines and word of mouth and flyers to like this brand new resource, which is now, I think, kind of helped that kind of music, for better or worse, become mainstream in music and in fashion and things like that. Um, but you also like, I don't know, I was just, I was thinking about today and I just thinking it was crazy that you were, we were like 17 years old. And you had the label and you had a distro and you were distroing at places like, like ABC No Rio. And, uh, I remember the old knitting factory had a basement. Um, I don't know. I, I was looking back at that kind of fondly today. I think that's crazy that you were 17 years old and doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, maybe if I was in the sports or something, I would have had something better to do. But, uh, yeah, I just went to the distro. The record label used to have bands play our house all the time, mm. um, and then I, I sort of haphazardly started a band sometime around then. All right, so perfect segue. So you, uh, the first band that you played in, um, I guess like first real band that you played in, right, that, that put out records was Divider, right? Yeah, Divider. That was probably in 2000 and... Or 2005 or something, so a while back now. For a, a, a novice music fan, maybe, how like what type of a genre would you put Divider into? Um, I guess I would say it's like pretty technical, metal, metal, hardcore stuff, kind of loud, chaotic, noisy music. And it didn't like... I don't think you guys quite fit into any sort of uh, niche within like the Long Island hardcore and punk scene. Like, uh, it wasn't quite like a mosh metal metalcore band. It, uh, you know, it definitely wasn't like a, a traditional like youth crew type of hardcore band or a tough guy band or something like that. So, um, maybe didn't get all like the, the level of love that I think you guys deserve, but, um, dude, at Twilight still rips. I'll still play that sometimes. Oh, nice. Hey. Yeah, I think uh, basically me and Anthony and the rest of us were just obsessed with Converge, and we just wanted to sound like Converge and Botch and Dead Guy. And we, uh, you know, we did a demo, and then we actually recorded our EP at God City with Kurt from Converge, which was awesome. Um, and we made that EP, and, you know, we did a couple tours. It was the first time I got to sort of see the country um, in general, and then also, like, like, or just like play house shows and play clubs and other places. So it was a pretty fun, like formative experience. And the record label was like a nice way to get involved in a bunch of music scenes outside of New York to, to make connections for that. So yeah, that was like super fun, great, like formative first cross country drive kind of thing. And, and um, I don't think you didn't come on our first tour, but I think you came on our second U S tour yeah, with, it wasn't the first uh, with Vic and company. All right, so you're actually covering a bunch of things that I want to talk about. I do want to talk about the tour, but I want to get back to, um, you were talking about how you guys recorded at God City. So, and uh, tell me the name of the gentleman, I forget his name, who recorded the uh, the Day Trader LP. Uh, Mike Sapone. Okay, right. So, as somebody without, like... Uh, deep roots into that community in the sense that especially for divider like you were a young kid still at that time that's sort of like a like a wish list or a bucket list thing for a lot of heavy bands to record with Kurt Ballou. how did you pull that off um yeah I feel like it would have been a, it'd be a cooler story if it was like 80s and it was like I just drove my car <laughs> I knocked those doors sent him a letter uh no it's like you know we wrote some songs. We had one that we thought was like pretty good. And then I just like sent an email and I was like, Hey, we really like you guys, you know, would love to do a record. And then it just kind of naturally fell into place. Um, you know, it was just 
just really wanted to record there. And so we went up for like five days, drove up to um, Salem, Massachusetts, had like five people stay in a day's in for like five days and just uh, banged out the EP. Okay, very cool. So the tour. Um, so I I was 20, I think, when we started that, ter- that tour. I turned 21 in, um, in Texas. And obviously I wasn't in the band. I was more of just the road dog. I drove the van and sold the merch and stuff like that. But um, in terms of... So, okay, so the tour was with was Furnace and with Blues, right? Yeah, yeah. So in terms of things that we can discuss as two now much older guys in, in professions, what, what are some things from that tour that stick out to you? Didn't we, didn't we play, we played like a really, really crappy show in Austin, and then we met that guy outside of the... Uh, the venue. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely a pretty interesting night. Um, and then I remember the party we stayed at. Was that in Idaho? I think it was in Boise, Idaho. With the guys when the Anthony garden. almost fought that guy in the parking lot. And then we ended up staying at that party with that weird girl. She was like singing really weird songs about sunshine or something. That was definitely a pretty pretty interesting uh, day. Yeah, Boise, yeah. Idaho was like, not to rip on Boise, Idaho, but I feel like there's so many different places where you're like, oh, you know, it's Indiana or it's, or it's Nebraska or it's Texas, whatever. And you're being from the Northeast, you have all these like theories about how people are going to be backwards or whatever, like you have stupid prejudices and you're just totally, totally wrong and it's like a cool place and there's tons of culture and cool people and good food and and all this stuff, and then Boise, Idaho, I think we just got the bad luck of the draw because we were there, and we're just like, man, this place sucks. And most of the people we're meeting are pretty mean and ignorant, and someone threw garbage in our van, someone tried to fight Anthony, and like people are pretty weird. And I'm sure that if we went back, it would be nice, but that definitely stuck out as kind of like a bizarre, bizarre day. Yeah, and I remember that guy looked a lot like D. Snyder, too, the guy who threw, <laughs> threw the garbage in the, in the, in the van. <laughs> um, he did. Um, Salt Lake City was also a pretty interesting arrangement. Um, yeah, that's an interesting probably place. Probably better not, not to <laughs> that particular story. I think um, I was also thinking of, well, I remember at some point a tire blowing out. On that tour, you lost your basis like four days in and the whole tour almost crumbled. Um, and then yeah. somewhere in California, like, Second song in, Anthony cut his hand open. And uh, do you remember that? Ooh, at a church. Yes. Yeah. Some like, really moshy show. That was bad. And um, I, too, don't want to stereotype a region, but we were, how can I say this? D-Land, Florida? That's, that's all. D-Land? D-Land? Um, oh, yeah, totally. That was a, actually a good show. Yeah, but that's, that's a scary place, man. Um, yeah, everybody just parks on the uh, parks on the lawn with reckless abandon down there. Yeah, and doesn't quite obey a lot of uh, traffic laws and things like that. But um, yeah, and yeah. That, like that was really fun. There was a uh, you played uh, what is it Plan Nine in Birmingham? That was a cool venue. Yeah, that was cool. Yep. Didn't we play, did we play Gilman Street or maybe that was a different tour? No, tour. We stayed we in that. We played some cool, some cool DIY venues there on that tour. Do you remember that, that house we stayed in in Orange County, that like mansion? Oh yeah, that was awesome. Okay. Who, whose house is that? I, I can picture him in my head. He knew someone in blues. Yeah, I think it was just some random like nice person. It's always like the random, like nice person with rich parents that has sick athletes stay on a tour. Yeah, that's what it was, I think. <laughs> so, did a couple tours, put out at Twilight. You put out an EP after that, right? Yeah, we put out um, like a yeah, like a short EP um, that we recorded with Killingsworth from like Orchid and Ampere, uh, also in Massachusetts. And I feel like that was actually a lot better. Um, but then 
we sort of got less active and then I started doing more like rock music um, with another group and then they actually ended up replacing me in the band with uh, the singer from Sky Came Falling which is kind of funny oh wow um, and they're still playing, and they're and they like they I, I think are doing much better now that I'm I'm not with them, so that's that's good. All right, so if somebody still wanted to check out Divider, is that is that possible? Is the stuff online, or can they get it in uh, in uh, like hard yeah. format? It's all on Bandcamp. Um, I think the, their newer LP uh, is on Spotify. So Bandcamp, Spotify, all the usual spots. I mean the stuff that you played on. Stuff that I played on, I believe, is on Bandcamp. I don't think it's on Spotify. Okay. And thanks to the magic of post-production, people are going to hear, you won't hear it, Tim, but people are going to hear a song by Divider in three, two, one. Sky King Falling joins the band, and it's a little while later before you join or you help start up Day Trader, right? Um, I think we were actually still playing, and then I was doing both bands in parallel. Oh, wow. Um, I remember I asked Anthony, who's a great guitarist, who's a guitarist at Divider, one of my old friends, as you know. I was like, hey, I'm like starting a rock band with Gary and some other people. Do you want to like be in that band, he's like, that sounds really lame. I don't want to do that. And then uh, we started the band with Gary, who we went to high school with, and Pat, who was in that band, Latterman, um, when I was living in Brooklyn. And I think Divider was still doing stuff like once in a while, and then and then Day Trader's schedule became busy enough where uh, it didn't make sense to do both bands. And you guys, you started putting out music like right when that, like late 90s, early 2000s, like emo revival was hitting. And um, you had, uh, I think, Come My Compass was, was that the name of the EP? Or Last Days in Rome was it, right? Um, yeah, Last Days in Rome was the EP. We, we recorded like a three song self-titled demo. And actually, uh, if you remember Pack Glass, Pack Glass did the art for it. Okay. And um, we, we like just recorded demo, 
put it out online. It got picked up by a few news outlets because the other guys were in Cool Dance Four, and then um, and then it just took off in a pretty big way. And I was working at a tech company in Manhattan at the time, and it just kind of blew up. And we, um, like you said, there was like kind of a thing, kind of a wave of emo revival, like like you said. And so um, we got offers from a bunch of record labels, and then I think it was like. I must have been like 24 at the time, and it was just kind of like, you know, I like went on a tour or two, I had done a record label, but it was all kind of like during summer when I was in school, I'd never really taken a go um, at just trying to do music full time, and so it felt like a good time to just go and do it. So we released the demo, and then shortly thereafter, um, I left my company in New York and we went to record that, that EP you're referring to, Last Days of Rome, um, with Vince Ratty uh, in Philadelphia, and we released it on Rome for Cover Records. So that was, like, the first, like, real record we did. I think that I think that EP had, like, a real nostalgic sound to it, and I think that's why a lot of people liked it. Um, if... All right, how can I... If you were to... Let's say, I'm jumping ahead here, but let's say the band were to continue to put out music, and this is more of just like a business question, um, would it have to be on Rise Records? Like, do they own the future product if that band were to get back together? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think at this point, it's been long enough where like, probably nobody cares that much about what record label would come out on or, or any of that. Um, I think technically they do have right of first refusal, which is pretty standard in, in recording contracts um, on the Nash record. Um, okay. So I know you're not going to want to talk about specifics, Tim, and that's obviously totally your right, but you left the band and was that, that was when that big tour with Jealous Sound was announced. Was that at the, at the start of that tour or had that tour not started yet? Uh, it was while I was on the tour. Okay. So we did last days in Rome. Um, we toured like 200, 300 days a year for like three years. We did, um, that record, um, 12 years. We recorded that with Mike Sapone, who did like brand new and take it back Sunday and a bunch of other bands. We liked Long Island. And then we, um, and then actually that was relatively well received was on billboard, all that stuff. And then, we went and um, toured some more. We did a split with the Jealous Sound um, that actually the bass player from Foo Fighters played on, which was cool. And then um, we did a tour to support that EP or that split EP with Jealous Sound. And you know, Jealous Sound's band is like one of our one of my, my band mates, Gary, is like one of his favorite bands, and I liked them a lot. And we went on a tour with them, and we actually. <laughs> We actually turned down a tour with Sum 41, uh, like what? a full U.S. and Canada tour with Sum 41, which has been kind of a funny experience. I um, had no idea about that. To go on the tour, to go on the tour of Jellotown, which was like a much smaller tour, but that band that we, we liked a lot, and, and we had we'd done the split and all that stuff. So we went on that tour. Um, it was like a brutal tour. It was like drive out to California to start the tour and then end in California and then drive back to the East Coast and it was like 40 days or something. There's a crazy amount of driving. Um, there, there were definitely like some good shows and some like not great shows and it was towards the end of like a really, really like just brutal year of like a ton of touring because uh, we were supporting a full length and it was fun but it started to get like a little strained and just like playing gigs every day and like drinking after the show. And I think, you know, uh, like drinking and partying and stuff is somewhat inseparable from touring lifestyle at times. And so, you know, for me, that was a tour that like broke the camel's back a little bit. And it was like, do I really want to like drive to a club every night and like just like gig and play shows? And it was a little bit more of a formal tour. So like you got to get to the town pretty early you got to load in, you sound check. And so there's a little bit less of like going camping and like discovery and, you know, checking out the town, a little bit more of just like gigging, playing shows. And so it was a pretty good tour, but I think like halfway through we were a little bit burnt out and we talked about 
um, taking a break, and, and so we ended up doing that uh, like halfway through that tour when we were back on the East Coast before we went back out West, which really sucked because you never want to sort of leave a tour, but it got to the point where it was just not the right um, thing for me to continue it. So um, at that point, I just kind of left the band and left the tour and then um, just kind of hung around Boston for a while. So all those other guys are in other projects. You've never talked to them about doing anything else with Day Trader post that time, right? Uh, we actually have talked about it a few times. Uh, we actually, we almost did a reunion gig like, um, maybe like almost a year ago. And I forget why. There was like a scheduling conflict or something why we didn't do it. Um, we've sent some songs back and forth and talked about doing something, um, but just haven't gotten around to it yet. And a lot of that is just, I've been just crazy, crazy busy with work. And like you said, the guys all have other projects. Gary has a studio that he records a bunch of cool bands in. Oh, that's cool. Um, Cheeseman actually works at God City Studio now. Oh, wow. Uh, full time. And then um, a couple of the other guys are in our band as well. Okay. So, uh, actually, I wanted to ask you, and that stuff's all available too. Like, if people wanted to buy those records still, like, they could probably still get the vinyl, right? Yeah, totally. Um, Rise Records or just Googling Day Trader Records. You can, you can find it anywhere. Okay. Is the next creative project after that um, Some Stranger? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, pretty much right after I got back. I was living in Boston at that point. I actually moved from New York City to Boston um, right before that last tour. And so I got back to Boston, and um, Daniel, who I actually knew from the, the VLV, Viva Vital message board from like forever ago, um, and I had done some work with him on my record label, we, you know, we chatted, we hung out a couple times because I was new to Massachusetts, and you know, we were like, hey, you know, we already talked about your music, maybe we should try it. And, and within like a few weeks, we had written an EP. And then we, um, we released that on Robotic Empire, who was a record label that, you know, I was really into back in the day. Released like ISIS and Cursive stuff and H99 and a bunch of, mm-hmm. a bunch of cool weird bands in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so that was, it was pretty fun to put a record on, out on that record label. How, how would you describe that type of music that you played on that? Um, it was probably a little bit more in line with my personal taste. Um, it was pretty like, it was pop sensible, but also a little left to center and a lot of like noisy um, sort of guitar pedal driven stuff. Um, a little bit different and like darker sense of like melody and timing and stuff. So, me, it was a little, you know, it was, it was not wildly dissimilar from some of the stuff I had done. Day Trader, you know, it was a little bit more like, you know, um, just straight down the center rock music. Um, and it was a little bit more, you know, it's like some, some things from like At the Drive-In and Cave-In and Fuse and some other um, stuff that I had liked. So it was a little bit, um, I don't know, just maybe a little bit more dynamic. Um, and a lot of that was driven by Daniel. Daniel's just, just like, you know, really successful, crazy artist guy. And he has, I think, one of the biggest guitar pedal questions in the world. So he's just all about sort of soundscapes and sound aesthetics. Um, and so he created a bunch of really cool stuff. And I just kind of sang on top of it. And, and that was a really, really fun project to do, especially since, you know, leaving the, the former band was, it was a big deal for me. So it was, it was good to sort of put time into music again. I was going to ask about that, and I, I don't know if this sounds weird or cheesy, but so the podcast is kind of like the first, in a sense, like it, it's to, to a far lesser extent, but it's like it's a creative outlet for me, and it's the first time I've like uh, actually acted on a creative outlet. And I was wondering, maybe this sounds weird, but after playing in bands, especially uh, like a band like Divider, it seems like it's a bit of like a catharsis for you if you're the singer um, or if you're playing in the band. It's like an emotional release, uh, lyrics are personal. Like how do you, is it weird after playing in these bands where like you have that outlet to going to working, you know, in a more typical career where you don't have that outlet? Like do you 
do you feel that at all? Like, do you feel a creative itch or anything like that? Yeah, um, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, I think you definitely get a creative itch. And, you know, I play guitar sometimes, write songs, and still record some stuff once in a while, um, which is great. But, yeah, you, you absolutely get the itch. And I think having a creative outlet is just a really healthy thing in general. Um, I've probably neglected it a little bit over the last few years, but trying to get back into it these days. Um, I would say that it's definitely really weird to go from playing shows every night and recording records every year to do nothing. Right. Um, but, you know, I think you can also get burnt out. So I probably was somewhere in the middle there and now I'm just uh, starting to get back into it. Would you, or have you talked at all with Daniel about revisiting Some Stranger? Yeah, we, so we're still um, actively working on that project. Okay. Uh, we just take a long time to do stuff. So we did that EP on Robotic Empire. Um, we played one show in Virginia. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> and never played again. Um, and then we actually spent about a year and a half and like some ridiculous amount of money, probably like $15,000. Um, we recorded 60 demos over a year and a half um, for an LP. We whittled down to like 13 songs and then we recorded over two months, um, or spent a, a ton of time and energy on this. We recorded with uh, Will Yip, who does, you know, he's done that whole new crop of bands like Dallas Composure and Tiger's Jaw and um, all those bands. Um, we recorded with Will Yip and then Vince Ratty again, who did the, the original Day Trader stuff. Um, and we just recorded a full length, which was actually really, really fun process. Um, probably the most interesting music thing that I've done. Um, and we just spent all this time, put all this energy into it. And then uh, it's just been sitting on the shelf for like three years. What? Um, so we still, we still, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely like the most work and energy and money and time I've ever put into any artistic thing or maybe any single project. And then we just sort of let it sit on a shelf, which is a little bit, or more than a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a lot my fault. Um, you know, basically, towards the tail end of that process, I ended up doing being on a TV show for like a couple months. Oh, we're getting to that. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then it got back uh, to Boston, and you know, we wrapped it up, and I. Sort of, and then Daniel was busy with some uh, art stuff. He was actually getting like a documentary on Netflix or something. And then, um, and then I ended up getting a job um, in tech, which was sort of what I've always done. And then my company started to take off. So I was just crazy, crazy busy for really like the last three years. And only now are we gearing up to uh, actually release the record. Okay, awesome. Um, throughout the course of this episode, I'm going to play... Divider Day Trader. Do you have something from some stranger that I could play? Yeah, yeah. I'll send you a track from the new record. Awesome. More than three people will hear it. Beautiful. Um, all right. So from there, you 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 started this segue for me. Uh, so from there, we move into Tim, and this is what I know least about, and I think I'm most curious about. Um, and if you're uncomfortable with anything, dude, please feel free to tell me. But uh, can you talk about the process of, of getting on the show and like what that was all about and what happened? Yeah. So uh, towards the end of Daytrader, um, or maybe sort of the middle, we got a manager um, that was associated with Frontline Management, which is like one of the bigger management companies. They manage like the Eagles and like Christina Aguilera and shit like that. Wow. <laughs> um, and our manager particularly managed um, or like health manager. He was someone, someone had somehow he was associated with Maroon 5 and Phantom Planet. Um, oh boy. And so he, um, once the band sort of disbanded and I was working on Some Stranger and it was kind of kicking around Boston, he was like, dude, I know this show sounds kind of lame, but like you should totally try it out and you just get paid a bunch of money and go, go out to California. Um, and, and the show so too. did one of those popular singing shows. Um, right. called, basically, called what? 
Uh, I feel like it would be better not to mention it, but it's okay. probably the most popular thing. Did you have to sign? Uh, contractual reasons. I think I'm. I think I'm probably still not supposed to say what it is. Did you have um, to sign but, a non-disclosure? What was that? Did you have to sign a non-disclosure form? Yeah, I had signed a bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, okay. But, <laughs> but basically, um, you know, I went and. I went to like a studio in Boston one day with Drew actually. Drew is my backing musician for it. Um, and I sang a couple songs for producers. It wasn't, it wasn't like a weird thing. We're like, wait online. They just roll up and hang out and play music for a little while. Um, and then like the next day, they were like, hey, want to fly to LA? Flew to LA, played for the producers and like the heads of the record labels and all that stuff. Um, and then they flew me out for six weeks to live in a hotel in Burbank and film a show. Jesus. Um, which I did, which was a little weird and not my style, but it was a pretty interesting experience. There were some cool people there and they were, you know, they were, they realized that I was not going to be a guy that was like, going to cry or like do weird drama TV stuff, um, which was fine. And so did that. Um, Daniel actually flew out for a week or two of it. Cause I guess there's like a filming segment where you, uh, you have like a friend out there, uh, so that was interesting, and he thought it was super funny too. So we were just kind of having the, the fun, just being somewhat satirical about the whole situation. And then um, I, what I do, I did the interview with celebrity stuff and whatever. Um, and then actually, there was a scheduling conflict with one of the um, celebrity judges, and I had my brother's wedding, um, and so. I told them, hey, you know, I told you guys months ago, there was like four days where I were just blackout dates because a bachelor party, wedding, hang out for days, and I'm back. And they're being pretty difficult about it because a lot of people that want to be in the shows are just like desperate. And, and that's fine. Not, not a, not a dig at them at all, but they'll just do whatever, you know, people want them to do. And so, you know, I was obviously like, this is cool, I guess, but, you know, I don't really expect this to be that big of a thing for me, and, like, my brother's going to get married once, probably, so, like, I'm going to go to that. And so, I ended up uh, quitting the show <laughs> and going to my brother's wedding, which was a nice wedding, a nice bachelor party, and that was that was cool. Um, it was a pretty interesting experience. I brought my guitar and my recording equipment, so I ended up just sort of chilling in a hotel room swimming in the pool every day and like writing songs and recording them. So it wasn't a total wash and it was a, you know, kind of a funny story. Um, but you know, it didn't end up being, I guess it didn't end up being that productive of a time, but I got paid to hang out and eat steaks and play guitar. So it wasn't all bad. That's crazy, man. <laughs> the, um, the music that you put out under the moniker of Tim, um, you mentioned Drew, who's Drew Olson. Did did he play like the backing music on that? Like, what did you write those songs? What was that about? Yeah. Um, so actually, on the Tim stuff, um, that was all me, and then Dan actually co-wrote one of the songs and made the music video. So Dan is, is really the only other collaborator. And then. This guy, Gary Chiaffi, um, who recorded like Transit and some other bands, um, in Massachusetts, he recorded some of it and then also like did some backing tracks. Um, and then, uh, and that's most of what we've done. Me, me and Drew have done some other like electronic pop music stuff, but I've never released any of that. Okay. So I have some questions for you that I wrote down, like some real quick hit questions. But I want to say first, I told you I would give you a bit of an ear beating here. Um, so you've been in bands that I've at least liked, and I think that, uh, a lot of people were really into, to Day Trader. Um, dude, you have a talent and you also have this weird, you have this weird it thing, Tim, where like, and I think most people can relate to this because I knew you in high school. You were the kind of kid who we would be in the same class. I would study my butt off for a test and like pull off an 80 and be like, okay, cool. And like you would roll up and it'd be like, oh, did you study? No, no, no. And you'd pull off a 99. So like you have this, a bit of this like magical luck factor combined with the fact that without like a history of being trained in music or anything like that, 
and it's funk music or it's you know it's independent music so it doesn't require like uh orchestra type talent but um i think you have a combination to where you put out music that's good and people like it and i think it is tragic that you are not doing anything right now so i hope uh for your sake and for everyone else's sake that you get back into one of these projects and start putting some stuff out man Yeah, that's the uh, that's the plan. I think one of the things that's really tough, um, and Dan and I always talk about this, because even though Dan's regular job is much cooler than my regular job, um, since he's an actual fine artist that makes money, um, you know, it's just really tough these days. Um, I think the film industry and TV and other forms of media found a way for the it still to be a real job, to be a journalist or a, an actor or a playwright or whatever. Um, and the music industry has just been brutally tough for the last couple of decades. Like, it used to be 50 years ago, you're like, oh, how am I going to make money? And they're like, oh, start a record label. You'll just be printing money, selling these, you know, country records or rock records or whatever. Um, and so I think it's just, just tough these days. And the other thing is, like, doing it full-time takes the joy out of it a little bit. Um, like once like paying rent and like having food on the table is tied to like make music sort of makes you like compromise a little bit. And I, I don't know that we necessarily like change music direction or anything. I don't think we did. Um, but it just makes you do stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want to do with, you know, your art form, which is, you know, pretty, pretty serious thing. And so I think for me, like in a lot of ways, um, doing some stranger thing with nobody watching and nobody caring and there's no record labels or managers or any of the sort of industry apparatus around it was, was pretty fun. And so for me, I'd love to do some more stuff. Um, but if I, you know, if and when I do it again, it would probably be a little more art for art's sake than trying to like make a go of it. I feel like it's just really tough these days and the industry kind of sucks and, you know, for me, it's 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 probably going to be more of a doing it for fun and seeing what happens, and and not going you know full ham and and touring all the time anymore. Um, combined with the fact that you know I've just gotten into um, you know a company that I really like, doing something I'm really passionate about. Um, you know, it's pretty intellectually engaging, and, and the company's doing really well, so that's fun too. Um, and hopefully, over time, I can I can find a balance between two. Yeah, man, that's a pretty sober and honest response. I appreciate that. Um, all right, so I said I had some, like, a couple of just real quick, quick hit, like, fun questions. Um, what's the first show you can remember going to? Ooh, um, all right, I'll tell the truth here. So I think the first, like, show, like, underground show that I went to, or, like, punk show, um, was at the Long Island Zoo, if you remember it. It was like Cal's catering hall, like a Jewish catering hall in Long Island. And it was Newfound Glory. It was Dashboard Confessional's second show. Um, Movie Life and Hot Rod Circuit, I think. Hell yeah, man. That was the first show I can remember going to. And that was like with uh, my brother and Drew and some other people. Uh, no shame. Mine was MXPX, so. <laughs> um, favorite, the best venue that you played at? The best venue I played at? Ooh. Um, it was definitely cool playing ABC in Rio. Uh, it was cool playing Gilman Street. Um, I think is the best one I played at. Hmm. Pretty tough. Playing Urban Plaza was definitely cool. Um, playing, trying to think. We played the Hot Water Music record release show, and that was a really sweet show. I forget where it was. Oh, I think it was Gramercy. Gramercy was fun too. Oh wow. Um, and then there was a place called I think the Bottom Lounge in Chicago that was sweet. And I don't know. I mean, some of the coolest shows were just like, there was a loft in Chicago that we played that was really awesome. Um, like some of the coolest shows were just like kind of weird DIY venues um, rather than the big clubs. Favorite venue that you went to on Long Island or Long Island and city combined? 
man, I think that there's two. Uh, so Crew Town's House of God, um, seeing the show, I think you were there, where Modern Life is Word played and Jeff did a kickflip off the second floor and then they played Nervous Breakdown. Yeah. That was probably <laughs> one of the sweetest like show venue experiences. And then uh, I guess it's the same band actually, uh, but five, 538 Johnson um, in Bushwick, which I, I think he went to that show too. Yeah, um, man, you have a good memory. Martin Lake's Award played there and there was like 400 people in a loft. That was awesome. That was like, those two venues had to have been the best, the best venues I went to. And you crush that one. Um, any I mean, Long Island had some cool stuff too. Like there was the church and the VFW hall and whatever, but but those two Brooklyn apartments were awesome. I was thinking about that today, Tim, when I was thinking of things to talk to you about. Do you remember, um, and, and the business, I guess, has changed names since we were kids like uh, a dozen times, but do you remember when that place, like Eagle's Pub in Smithtown was the Outer Limits? Oh, yeah, sure. I remember, this is how cool my dad is. Like, I remember going to a show there, and um, my dad showed up and saw that the show was at a bar and, like, didn't want me to go there anymore. But he didn't blow me up. He didn't embarrass me. He didn't, like, pull me out. But I, I came home that night, and he was like, where were you? And I'm like, oh, I was at a show. And he's like, oh, you were at that bar on the corner. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, and he's like, yeah, don't go there ever again. I'm like, all right. Do you remember um, the cesspool yeah. from Smithtown also? The cesspool, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I remember like On the Mighty Princes and like Back of Plan stuff you could play there. Yeah, crazy. Um, all right, any, any song that in any of your projects uh, you could cover? Like the first song that comes to mind that you would want to cover any genre. I would want to cover of any other person. That you would want to actually cover it yourself, yeah. Um. Hmm. That is a tough question. Um. I know you like Carly Rae Jepsen. Not a surf song. Oh, the day trader song. Day Trader Tour, that was pretty fun. Um, Say that again, I, t I just talked over you. What song was it? Uh, a Nato Surf song, the song Always Love. Mm -hmm. I think it's on like some weird sitcom soundtrack. So, um, something you haven't done though. Divider always wanted to cover um, that, that Cranberry song, Zombie, but we just never did it. Okay. Um, Someone covered them, right? A heavy band covered them. You know, you know, you always want to play, not to play in front of people, but the songs I always want to play are Toss and Earth songs, but he's just way too good at guitar and I'm pretty bad at guitar. Okay, <laughs> that's cool. Um, one band that, again, any genre, one band you would want to play with on the same bill today? Do mm, they have to still be playing? Let's do this. Let's do one band that's still playing and one band that's kind of defunct. Well, yeah. I guess this is one band that's sort of still playing end of funk, uh, but I would definitely love to play Show Refused. That'd be awesome. Okay. Cool. Um, favorite band from Long Island slash New York City growing up through through now? Ooh, growing up. Maybe All the Princes. Yeah, right? And, um, Brian, well, you, heard, you heard about Jason, right? No, I did not. Oh, really? Yeah, Jason, like, passed away, um, I think just like a year and a half ago. Holy crap. Yeah. We'll talk about that. They were going to, like, play another spring of shows, and I think they were doing records, and it was, it was rough. I was gonna say, um, and let's chat about that when we when we close up. But um, I was gonna say, Brian, I knew too, but that's kind of like a bigger nationally known band, right? Um, I was gonna say that new incendiary record rips, and Brian Audley, if you're out there and you listen to this, I want to get you on here. But um, 
Alright, dude, I think that covers what I wanted to ask you about music. It's been cool to reconnect. Cool. Awesome. Um, how can... I don't know if you want people checking you out, but if there's anything you want to plug, like your own social media or music or anything like that, you could do that now. Yeah, I think the um, Some Straighter record and songs are online. Um, and then there's like, you know, some of my solo stuff and Daytrader stuff. It's all pretty easily Googleable. All right, cool. And I'll put all that stuff in the show notes for this episode so that people can get it. Um, all right, Tim, I'm going to close out, but stay on with me past the closing out. And um, I want to just wrap up some things with you real quick. So everybody, thank you for listening. Um, got a, a whole bunch of cool stuff planned for the future. I got some more music podcasts uh, coming out. So thanks to Tim. Thanks to Brian Goldsman, as always, for being the technology wizard. Take care of each other and peace. Wait until you get another place in line. Stick to the things you've been trying to find. No one sees. Your best deeds Never gonna get another guarantee Wait until you get another place in line Stick to the things you've been trying to find That is it for today. The song that you just heard is called Dead Friends, and that is by Day Trader. And uh, for today, thank you to Tim. Thank you, as always, to the wizard, Brian the Wizard Goldsman. Uh, For this episode, 
I've done this in the past with some authors and things like that. Um, shoot me an email, thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. Uh, give me feedback, give me, say hello, say something. And I'll pick uh, maybe a person or maybe a couple people and I'll send you guys a physical copy of one of the bands that Tim was in. If you have a preference for one of those bands, let me know. Um, and as long as they still have a record available, I will send that to you. So again, the voyages of Tim Vetter at gmail.com. Thank you to you guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, take care of each other and peace. I had a change of heart. At least I think I did. Oh, if I could only start to see the things I want.